0: Kids, there's uh, Miss Jarvis over there. She's ready to take you out to children's worship. So find her and go with her. So we've been looking uh, this Advent at uh, the sermon that Peter preached uh, there in Acts chapter 3. We're going to continue that today. The text, uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 26, is in the bulletin. Uh, and uh, also up on the screens behind me, Acts three twenty-two through 26. It's unusual for me to hear someone behind me when I'm up here, and, so, and I'm essentially blind in this eye, and so I'm like, there's movement behind me, what's back there? So you never know. So uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. Uh, we're going to look particularly today uh, at, uh, at verse um, 23, and uh, at the issue that uh, Peter uh, raises for us today uh, about the nature of the truth. So Acts 3:22 through 26. This is God's word; we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Moses said, "The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers." You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Uh, so this uh, February, we will have lived in, in our house 22 years. Uh, one of the reasons why we bought uh, this house when we bought it is because it had a great tree house in the backyard. Uh, and uh, our kids spent a lot of time in that tree house. It's a great, it's a great tree house. Now, um, the, the fact is, nobody's played in that tree house that I know of uh, for a long time, and... Uh, uh, my neighbor who lived next door to me began to complain a number of years ago about the treehouse. When are you going to take it down? It's ugly. It was ugly. Uh, squirrels were using it to sharpen their teeth. Uh, and, you know, when the, the last time the kids were up there, they did kind of graffitize it and that kind of stuff, so it didn't look that great. But my neighbor, who was a good friend of mine, didn't know me all that well because he should have known, you know, by complaining to tell me to take it down, guaranteed that I'm not taking it down. <laughs> just <laughs> not going to do that just because you said to do it. I'm going to leave it up so every day when you walk out your door, you can see it and be reminded that Steve is a stubborn cuss. So, uh, so they moved, <laughs> and uh, and so I'm taking it down. Yeah. Um, and, uh, in fact, my son was in the backyard with me, like, should we, should we take a picture of this and send it to him, like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's, that's enough uh, outrageous godliness this morning, right? So, but uh, the, the fact is, uh, I, as I've been taking it down, I needed to get my chainsaw out and, and fiddle with it. And so I was working with my chainsaw, and I was thinking, you know, the, the chain doesn't, is not cutting very well, and so I'd probably... It's been a while since I replaced it, so I thought I'd go get a new chain. So I went to the store to get a new chain. And uh, my, uh, my chainsaw is an American-manufactured chainsaw. At the store, they only had European-manufactured chainsaw uh, chains. And so uh, I bought one that said it was the right size for my chainsaw. And what I discovered is, is that Europeans measure their chainsaw bars differently than Americans do. Now, I didn't know that. If I'd read the box that would have told me the truth, I could have known that, and I could have saved $25 before I got that out and started fiddling with it. And, and you know, it was, it was a great day yesterday when I'm replacing that, because I told Marty, I'm like, you know, this is going to be awesome. I'll be done in no time. Let me just replace the chain. And she comes outside. She's sick, and she comes outside. She's like, I just need to get outside for a minute. And she's watching me, and she says, I really, and only she could say this to me and get away with it. She says, I had no idea that the chains hung so loose on the bar like that. <laughs> now, if you had said that to me, uh, it would have been ugly. But because she said that to me, and because I know she, she's, there's an Israelite in whom there is no guile, that's my wife, and she just... Uh, she just, she just said it. Well, I said to her, like, well, you know, I'm a man and a, a sinful man, and as a sinful man, I don't read the instructions. I just do it because I know the truth. I don't need anybody to tell me what's what, right? So, so the fact is, the truth is one of those things that we say that we love. Well, the truth is one of those things that we say we're, we're all looking for. And, and this thing that we really desire, it's a lot like education, right? One of, one of the things is we say we really want that, but in fact, we spend a lot of time avoiding it. Or we spend a lot of time shading it or making it something that is comfortable for us. We've already heard read to us this morning, the Lord's indictment, the truth is lacking. And it's not that the truth itself lacks but our appreciation of it, our understanding of it, our application of it is lacking. And so, so what, you, what you see about this is, that as, and as we unpack this today, one of the things that is so good and so rich and so profound and so absolutely necessary for human beings is for God to tell us the truth. And so when Moses says here that a prophet is going to come, like me, he's going to tell you the truth, right? So one of the things about Advent and Christmas that is so powerful for us is it bears witness to us that our God is a God of truth and our God is someone who tells us the truth. And so Peter wants us to see this morning by telling us that we need someone to reveal the truth to us, that truth has to be disclosed to us. I I don't know if you were up early this morning or not, but... If you were up early and you looked to the east, it was a stunning sunrise. One of the most beautiful I've seen in a long time. Beautiful colors. Just, it, was, it, was, it was really awesome. And uh, you know, it, made, it made getting up early worth it you know, to go out there and just to stand. I was standing at the end of my driveway looking off to the east and seeing all the, the, the pinkish, orangish, all the colors and that sort of thing. And I just thought, you know, it is so awesome, God, that, that you did that. that tells me that God made uh, the world such that there are beautiful colors in it. And it also tells me that God made the world in such a way that I have eyes to see it and to to appreciate it, to see not just that that the the way the the light is refracted and all of that kind of stuff, but actually see something that's beautiful, really beautiful, and appreciate it. It tells me that I believe there's a God who did those things. But you know what? It doesn't tell me enough. It doesn't tell me that I sin. It doesn't tell me that I have a broken relationship with this God. It doesn't tell me that I need to be reconciled to this God. It doesn't doesn't tell me that uh, there is much about my life that is off track, and I need, I need to be challenged, I need to be changed, I, I need to be renewed, I need to be restored. And so, so one of the things that God is saying to us, one of the wonders that is, is, is so profound for us is the nature of, of, of Jesus' coming into the world, that part of what Jesus comes into the world to do is certainly to offer his life as a sacrifice, and he does that. We need Jesus as our priest, and without him as our priest, we're lost. But we also need him as our prophet. We need him to tell us the nature of reality. We need him to tell us the truth. We need someone to come and tell us what's going on in the world and what's going on in the heart of God and, 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 and what it is about us that is broken and twisted and crooked and what needs to be made straight, right? So we need a new Moses, and that's why Jesus comes. But we need a new Moses not just to deliver to us the law of God, remember that 's what Moses did. He, he went up on the uh, on the mountain and, and got the, the Ten Commandments, but we need a Moses to show us the way out of our wilderness to the promised land. We need someone to come uh, to reveal to us, to tell us the nature of of truth to to tell us how to get where it is we need to go now one of the things uh, one of the things that is uh, profound about this is is there is much discussion in our culture today, much discussion in the church today, much discussion around us about the nature of truth. Now Tim Keller says that historically uh, there's always been a consensus among people that there was truth. Now now what that truth was and how you got to arrived at that truth was up for grabs. But today, he would say, there's not even consensus about whether anything's actually true or not. Okay, and that is a tough place uh, for us to be and to live. And so one of the great things that we have, and one of the great things that we recognize is, is that the Lord reveals to us, discloses to us, in the person and in the words of Jesus Christ, what is true. And so we, we, uh, it, is, it is a great gift to us that God doesn't leave us alone to kind of lurk around to try to figure out what's true. He comes to us and he reveals to us what is true. And not only does he reveal to us what is true, he re- gives us the, even the very eyes to see it, the heart to believe it, the ears to hear it, right? And so that is a, that is a rich uh, a thing for us today. So, so the fact is we could, we could look into the Bible and I could pull out a million different things to tell you today that Jesus as the prophet, as the new Moses, wants you to hear and know and believe. But because I'm the pastor, I picked three, and we're going to look at three things today that uh, Jesus reveals to us that are key for us and that are so important uh, as we celebrate Advent, right? So there's three big things, right? Three big things that he wants us to know that'll get us out of our wilderness uh, to the uh, to the promised land. The first one is we are nothing but dust, and to dust we will return. Merry Christmas. I was stuck in traffic this week, and uh, usually when I'm in the car, I listen to uh, NPR or I listen to country music, and so uh, it's my yin and my yang, you know, depending on whether I'm feeling uh, smart or uh, something else. And so <laughs> uh, I—that's—that's uh, that's what I. But this—I I, I had a, an old uh, rock station on in the car. And they were doing, those of you of a certain age will remember this song uh, by a group named Kansas saying that we're dust in the wind. And I was listening to that this week and, and in the car thinking, yeah, we're dust in the wind. That is, it's a very, it's a very sobering thought, isn't it? Right? But what we recognize about that is, is that Jesus will raise that dust up in the last day to sing songs of victory forever. Uh, when I uh, One of the things that is actually valuable about getting older and having some experience is that younger guys in my profession will often call me and ask me, how do you do this? I've never done this before. How do you do this? And so recently I had a, a younger pastor in town who had to do a funeral. He's never done one before, and he said, how do you do this? How do you do that? And, and one of the things he wanted to know was, very specifically what the liturgy is and what kind of the choreography is when you uh, sit with a family underneath the uh, tent of the funeral home there in the cemetery as you prepare for that body to be lowered into the ground. And I told him, I said, well, one of the things I almost universally always do is pick up a handful of dirt and I set it on top of that casket because it bears witness. It bears witness to This is what we came from. This is what we are returning to. And praise be to God, Jesus remembers that dirt and he raises it up on the last day. It's important for us to recognize that. And and this is sobering and joyful all at the same time. And those of us who, who gather with family and friends over uh, Christmas and Advent, and there are chairs there that are empty now that were once filled with people that we love, that, in fact, makes this cry that we've sung today for the Lord to come uh, uh, even more profound, right? Because we want to see the truth of, 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 of the hope that we have in Christ. We want to see the truth of the revelation that Jesus Christ has overcome death we want to see the truth where where the, the fact is that that Jesus will come again and and death will be killed forever and we'll never have to be concerned or worried about that and 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 we'll hear uh, uh, and see the righteousness that Jesus Christ lived and died to give spread over this whole planet and the glory of the Lord will be so evident and and clear to everyone and so it makes it something to us that our heart really desires that that we cry out to see that truth, that reality, come to bear in its fullest uh, fruition, in its fullest manifestation in the, word, in, in the world. And this is what Jesus said, right? This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What a great hope! What a great promise! What a great truth to bank our lives on. We're we're nothing but dust. We came from dust. We'll return to dust. And at the same time, Jesus loves that dust, and He'll raise it on the last day. Secondly, one of the things that we have to see is that God has made the world to function a certain way. Now, this is one of the things that is 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 so uh, is so hard for us, right? Because uh, the fact is, what we what we think about the world is that no, there aren't any re, There's no real, true desi- design to the way the world functions. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The fact of the matter is, when God made the world and He He created it and He made us and He put us in the world, He established the world to function a certain way. He established relationships to function a certain way. He He established the the world to work in a certain way. And in fact. That is the very ground and the very foundation that science and math sits on is the fact that there are things in the world that are observable and that they work a certain way and they, they are predictable and it functions this way. And so whenever we get into a situation, whenever we get into a, a place where we just say, you know what, the world's not designed that way. The world, we, there is no clear design. There is no clear way in which the world functions. That truth doesn't matter. We get in trouble. And so I want to read to you this great passage from Isaiah to show us, to demonstrate to us exactly what, uh, what the Lord's getting at here. He says, give ear and hear my voice, give attention and hear my speech. Now, you hear that and you think, wow, he's about to challenge us about sin. He's about to challenge us about redemption. He's about to challenge us about uh, those, you know, loving the Lord, uh, forsaking idols or whatever. But what he's about to do, he's about to give us a, a, a lesson on agriculture, why, why would God even care about that? Well, I'm going to tell you. He says, does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? Next slide. When, when he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill? Dill is a, uh, um, an herb that you put in pickles. And it makes salmon taste really good, too. It's really good, right? It's a beautiful flower, too, by the way. It grows up and it's a yellow yellow flower. Really, really beautiful um, but you scatter those seeds. Do You sow cumin. Cumin is the primary ingredient in um, uh, chili powder. Yum. Uh, so you sow those seeds. You scatter those seeds. But, it, but, but you put wheat in rows and barley in its proper place and emmer. I didn't have time to look up whatever emmer is. But at the border, for he is rightly instructed as God teaches him. God says, this is the way you do this. And, and, and you do it this way because it works and because I designed the world to function this way. And so when you decide, you know what, we're not going to do it the way you designed it, we're going to do it our way, your, your uh, uh, harvest is going to stink. It's going to be off, right? So dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. The next time, you know, you're making your cumin, don't roll a cartwheel over it, okay? Come on, y'all. Stop rolling the cartwheel over your cumin. Y'all don't think that's funny. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> and stop beating out your cumin with a stick. Beat it with a rod. Beat your dill with a stick. Well, I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, dills beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod, right? So next slide. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he doesn't thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This all comes from the Lord of Hosts. Who knew that God cared about dill and cumin and emmer, whatever emmer is, and, and, and those things. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Oh, what great news that is for us today to know that the Lord set the world to work a certain way and there, are, there is truth that governs the way these things work. And that is great news for us. And it is a wonderful thing that God gives us the truth about the, how the world works, but not only that, he opens us up to be able to see it and to actually participate in the way in which these things function. Uh, this is this is a it's a great it's a it's a great thing for us to uh, to think about uh, uh, and to unpack. This um, this week I uh, I watched a uh, a Christmas show on PBS about this lady who's a a chef down in North Carolina, uh, and in rural North Carolina, and they were doing a lot of the stuff that I did as a kid uh, uh, to prepare for Christmas. She takes her son out in the woods and he's got a shotgun and he shoots the um, uh, uh, mistletoe out of a tree. And my son is like, that is the craziest thing I've ever seen, I'm like, I did it every year. That's how we got it. He's like, really? I'm like, yes. And then, of course, they go out to the farm, and it's cold weather. And what do you do when the weather first turns cold in the south? You kill the hogs. And so they did. And he's like, why don't they skin the hog? They're just scraping the, the hair off of it. I'm like, you don't, because that skin has got some flavor and it's got a layer of fat under it, and it's good. Remember the fat back? That's good. <laughs> He's like, oh. I said, you know, that's one of the, and, 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 and they show him cutting the meat up and fixing it and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, there's a way to do that that's important, that's helpful, that's good. I said, you, you, you know, there, uh, uh, there's something about the wonder of a God who, who has established the world to function in a certain way to work in a certain way so that that these things happen. And we get to discover it and we get to see it and we get to understand it and we get to work with it and we get to live in a world that functions that way. That is a great uh, 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 help to us to know that our God's not just concerned about our morals or not just concerned about our spiritual lives, but he is also concerned about our flourishing and figuring out how to make the world work and how it is supposed to function to bless us. Now, the uh, the third one, okay? And and this is the one that's most important out of these two, is that is that not listening to the new Moses is a big, deadly mistake. He says and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Because when he comes again, he will come as a judge. It's a very sobering, sobering thing uh, for us to think about, isn't it? Uh, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, You see, what we, one of the things that we declare when we read the Great Commission that uh, Jesus says at the end of his uh, ministry before he ascends into heaven is, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And, and, and we hear that to say, well, you know, he orders our affairs and, and, and he's the Lord and that sort of stuff. Well, the fact is he has authority because now he's the judge. We've already said that he will come again as a judge. We say in the creed that he will judge the living and the dead. We read in Daniel where he has this vision of the way the world will come to an end, and he says that all the books will be opened. And so let me ask you this morning, what's going to be in your book? Well, I know what's going to be in my book. A lot of temper tantrums, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of faithlessness uh a lot of stubbornness, uh, a lot of uh unwarranted and uh um, ungodly desire right and, and and it's so it's it's so alarming to hear this and to see this and so. So terrifying, and and, and and rightly so, because most of the time when we think about judgment and we think about going to court, I uh, people will come to me often and say that they're going to go to court to do something, or they're going to go to court because they're so convinced of the rightness of their case, they're absolutely certain they will win, and and I will say to them, well, you know, at least fifty percent of the people who come out of court don't come out as winners. Um. And, and you're placing your uh, destiny, your this decision into the hands of a judge. And who knows what that judge is likely to do? Well, well, the, the fact is, you know, we, we have a book that is our life. There's a testimony, and it, it testifies to us, and it testifies about us, and it testifies for us. When I used to do youth work, I used to tell the kids, you know, that a uh, day will come where we'll all stand before God, and it'll be like a movie on a screen, I guess, and Everything you've ever said or thought or heard will be right there for everybody to see. And, and they were always so concerned that their friends would actually find out what they thought about them more, more, more than they were concerned that God already knew what they thought. So what are we supposed to do about this? What are we supposed to do with these texts? You know, what we could do is we could just ignore them. Uh, And what we could do this morning is we could just think, you know, the the fact is that uh, this has nothing to do with me, when in fact, uh, Jesus is pretty clear that he's going to judge everybody. But one of the things that we have an opportunity to do this morning is do some judging of ourselves. Um, In fact, let me read to you... uh, the words of institution, to help us begin the process of judging ourselves this morning. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's there's more to this passage. Verses 27 through 32 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what I'm going to say to you this morning and what I'm going to urge you to do is as you come to the table to look at it, not just as a place where you gather with the Lord's people, which you certainly do, not, not just an opportunity this morning to, as Paul says to us, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm asking you this morning as you prepare to come to the table to judge yourself. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is to judge yourself unworthy. And as you judge yourself unworthy, to gain the worthiness of Christ. This is a great opportunity for us to prepare ourselves and to be reminded again of the reality Uh, the stark and yet beautiful reality of grace and the stark and yet beautiful reality of the Lord's work on our behalf and what it is we are asking for when we say for him to come. So we have an opportunity this morning as we judge ourselves unworthy to proclaim his death, to proclaim his covering uh, over uh, what's in our books So I want you to hear the shattering news this morning, that you and I are absolutely judged by works. Now that's probably startling, right? Maybe you've heard that we're not judged by works, but that's false. In fact, we're saved by works. The question is, whose works? And in the judgment of works, only one man's works avail. And that's the God-man, even Jesus Christ, who became man for us and also suffered our judgment for us. And so he offers us an opportunity this morning as we come to the table to examine ourselves and to think about the nature of this, to think about the fact that I need a judge who will be judged for me. I need a judge who will suffer the punishment for me. I need a judge who will take the judgment for me, who will suffer under that so that when my book is opened that the last page says, the judge declares this one innocent and righteous because the judge knows this one and he died for him. You see, that is one of the things that we have an opportunity to do this morning as we come to the table, to see the table not just as a place uh, of, of of free grace, which it is, but it is a place where we come and we are reminded of the very uh, uh, stark and beautiful and hard thing about the nature of the gospel, and that is that left to our own devices, we have no hope, but in Christ, we have every hope. Left to our own devices, we are dead, but in Christ, we are alive. Left to our own devices, we have no hope for righteousness, but in Christ, we have all of his righteousness. And so what we recognize today is that as we prepare ourselves for judgment, we judge ourselves today unworthy. We judge ourselves today not having anything in ourselves, in our book, that would earn us an acquittal from the judge, but we have the judge. We have his life, and we have his perfect record. And so as we come to his table today, he gives us an opportunity to prepare ourselves for that great day, to judge ourselves, and to proclaim that our righteousness is found in the only righteous one, Jesus Christ.